are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic, Jeff. And um, uh, and I, it's, look, I'm, I'm really uh, I'm excited about uh, today's um, uh, today's episode, but I suppose I should ask how you're doing before we get into that. I mean, it would be nice. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to today's episode, and I am doing well. I'm uh, feeling good. It's, uh, you know, it's sunny outside. We have to get the requisite, uh, the requisite exchange of pleasantries out of the way. Yes. Yeah, and weather-related um, uh, ephemera. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it reinforces our Canadian uh, uh, nature, I suppose. <laughs> the qualifications we all carry indeed yeah. well um let's just jump right into it for folks uh, today because that why um we're, we're using uh the weird covid pandemic time to release um episodes that are just really frankly conversations between you and i on various topics and uh, for today's show what i thought would be cool to do um and thank you for kind of agreeing to it um is that well frankly i think i come at marketing uh, and and being a marketer um in in many ways uh, from a in a similar path to a lot of um uh, marketers that we work with not to say that they've been involved in politics and all those foolish things that i've done in my past but more that um a lot of people um arrive at a in, in a marketing role and they they don't have a deep technical background they're not you know they don't show up um um, as a designer and a web developer. Um, but you've actually, you were a designer and a web developer long before you were really a marketer. Um, and, uh, well, I just, I've spent um, way more than a decade now learning from you on this. And I just hope that what we can do is try to, um, if possible, kind of say, okay, like for the marketers out there who, you know, know enough about the web to be dangerous, but maybe don't know enough that they need to, what do they how do they need to think about it? How do we kind of evolve that thinking? At least that's what I'm hoping to accomplish today. That's doable. It sounds good to me, and uh, and thanks. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, well, look, let's uh, I guess the fact of the matter is, um, uh, you, you know, the space at a deeper level than uh, than most and have been at it for longer. Um, but why don't we maybe let our listeners know how long that is and kind of give you some. Let's, let's do some gray hair justification here. How long have you been building for the web? Oh, man. Uh, built my first website in 1993 or four. So it was uh, it was before Netscape was even out. We were still using Mozilla, the original Mozilla. Or, sorry, no, not Mozilla. Oh, my God. NSCSA Mosaic. So, but, yeah, anyway, a long time. <laughs> I was. I think I was annoying my um, my first year college roommate uh, right about that time, um, trying to use his uh, Pentium a uh, 486 Pentium two. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I, I didn't know anything about computers, and he was kind enough to let me use his. Um, and I certainly wasn't building websites. I was just happy to be using WordPerfect. I think at the time. Well, that was, yeah, I mean, it was a strange time because, I mean, I only got my first ever computer in 1992. Um, 
It was a Macintosh LC2. It cost way too much money, and it was one of those pizza box ones, the tiny little thin ones, but it, it maxed out at 8 megabytes of RAM. No, no, sorry, 10, but you had to put 12 in it to get 10, but it couldn't address the last 2 megabytes. Megabytes, not gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> you had to put 12 in to get 10. Yeah, it was it was really unfair. So, um, but it, so, so you've been at it a while. A little while, and, yep. And so, and I know some of the, the mistakes have changed and some of them haven't over time. But um, I guess what are the, if, if we, let's start by trying to put them, put it in the kind of buckets, if you will. Um what are the buckets or categories of mistakes that you often see marketers make as they begin to consider uh, building for the web? I think one of the, you know, one of the most underlying and foundational mistakes that people make is not thinking, and this one actually goes all the way back to then, because really, you know, when I got into creating things for the web, it was really all about trying to understand the web or a website, I guess, as a system for communication. And I've always kind of been about this idea of, you know, communicating very cleanly and effectively and trying to design things that are built the way that users expect them to be. So, you know, I... I I think, you know, some people might accuse me of having a, a very kind of German or Swiss modernist kind of style, um, but that's because I, I I love these underlying grid systems that power very complex pieces of, of digital communication and give you the opportunity and ability to create lots of different um, types of displays of information. So, you know, having an ability and an easy way to quickly categorize content to have multiple columns on the screen to have a grid system that expands and contracts depending on you know what device you're looking at the uh the site on as well as having a system in place that you can build on for you know lots of different page types and so that still has kind of an underlying consistent theme no matter if you're looking at a home page or a product description or a checkout process or whatever, you know, everything kind of feels like a cohesive whole. And I, I think that's kind of one of the things that uh, that a lot of marketers maybe miss is that they maybe focus a little too intently on the micro specifics and they don't necessarily pull back and think of the site as one big living entity that can is going to need to continue to evolve and change and, and have enough of a system in place to power that, but not so overwhelming that it feels completely um, stark and, and, and basic. So is it that, I mean, basically I think what I'm hearing you say is that um, to the bit of the on-trained eye and evaluating a website design, um, a marketer may be more inclined to just evaluate it almost just aesthetically. Like, do it does it does it does it visually please me? Probably more advanced marketers, one would hope, would at least say, does it meet brand guidelines in some way, shape, or form? Mm. But you're saying they don't. Very few take the next layer of understanding to say, do I understand it and can I evaluate it as a design system versus a page? 
Yeah, I, I think that's, that's absolutely. And you've always been very good at kind of taking what I've said and turning it into something people can understand. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, it's important it, to know your role. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I think, you know, it it's really about kind of being able to take that 10,000 foot view of it and, and say, okay, you know, I, I see that we have the, you know, the brand guidelines or mandated color scheme or, or, uh, you know, on brand photography or whatever those elements are, but also kind of just understanding there's something going on underneath of that, that gives it structure, that gives it the ability to, um, host all kinds of different sorts of information. And, and I think it's, it's difficult even for designers to see that. And, and I think one of the biggest problems that we have, um, just a, as an industry in general, is that there's not as much training in this side of things in the typography and all of that as there used to be. Um, I was lucky to go through school at a time when I was trained by German immigrants who had moved to Canada and helped kind of bring that Swiss modernist style to Canada and and uh, North America more broadly and kind of learn that first and then began to apply that design theory to to the web to this new interactive medium and you know here we are 25 years later and we're you know we're increasingly tasked to build more and more complex sites um the underlying code systems are better than they ever were i mean when you and i met uh 10 12 years ago you know it was mobile wasn't even a thing then. And, and now we're having to build sites that look great, adapt well, convert just as many visitors, sometimes more um, in, in a, you know, on a four inch phone screen, just as well as they do on a 15 inch laptop. I, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up the point about designers kind of also struggling with this a bit, at least, especially new designers. Um, well, cause I've, I've witnessed over a decade of you uh, mentoring uh, design talent, um, uh, many of whom I think you would very much acknowledge uh, are maybe better illustrators than you are. You've said, always oh, told me you can't draw for, for you know, well, I won't say what you actually oh, said. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but um, um, so while you had, you were mentoring a design and talent that um, uh, may be, you know, very far ahead from the point of view of of what they can do from illustration or whatever, um, I, it has it, seemingly always been the case that um, that you've needed to infuse that talent with this kind of uh, thinking. Um, and uh, so it's not just marketers that don't get it. Uh, we shouldn't just beat up the marketers. It's, and frankly, it's, uh, it's pretty widespread. It, it is. And, you know, I think that there's there's still a lot of opportunity for design schools to get, I mean, that's an entirely separate topic. We could have a, you know, three or four podcasts about the shortcomings of design institutions. Um, but uh, I, I think that there's a real opportunity for design schools to be infusing digital skills um, into their, uh, into their students and getting them excited and ready to take on the digital challenge that they should all be um, undertaking because it's a much greater career path. But like I say, that's a whole entirely uh, separate discussion. Well, it, uh, I'm maybe interrupting you here, but let me just kind of, I, I want to, I, I want to know, if, are there any shortcuts? Of course I want to know that, but I guess, you know, for, for our listeners, um, 
who are trying to be better uh, at how they evaluate um, a web design. Um, and I guess, what what are the pointers or what are some of the guideposts that you might uh, say are out there to say, you know, here, here are some things that might be at least an indication that the design you're evaluating is heading in the right direction or at least has some level of systems thinking behind it? Well, yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at, you know, say a homepage as an example of a design as you're moving into a design, uh, web design project, um, you know, how well does it, um, how well does it scale, you know, from a single column like you might see on a phone through to a desktop screen? Like how, how, uh, how well does it manage information? Is there a hierarchy of information? Does it kind of tell a story as you move down through the page? Um, does the design draw your eye from usually, you know, uh, being in a, um, a left to right reading up uh, top to bottom society, you know, we certainly kind of start the eye starts in the top left and kind of moves out from there, which is why the vast majority of websites actually have a logo in the top left because it's the first place that um, Western society looks. Um, so it, it's a, a signpost or a marker of, of whose site it is or, or what it is. Um, you know, does that information kind of flow from that area? Is it does it make a lot of sense? Are there kind of obvious visual um, relationships between what's happening further down the page and what's happening up at the top of the page? So, you know, are there alignments? Are do One of the things that makes it really easy to tell um, when someone is a bit more amateur at this is, you know, everything is just kind of, while it looks like it might be in columns, if you look kind of where they go vertically, it may not be the case that they're all sort of aligning in the exact same place, um, which kind of creates that consistency is, you know, especially as home pages get really long and other content pages get really long. You know, one of the kind of comforts that people have as they move down through those pages and the things that help them understand is, is there a hierarchy of information and are there vertical and horizontal alignments that kind of make the placement of all of the different page elements consistent as you move through it? It doesn't mean that, you know, every site has to be have the same grid system as every other site, not, not by a long shot. But what it does mean is that you have to have a platform with which to structure that content and information as, as you move through the page. And it, and it really all kind of stems out of that, that top area within the site. And, you know, one of the most important things and one of the hardest things to get right, as you know, when we take on a new web project, the first one of the first things we do is develop that information architecture and really start to try and understand the site map of the content and understand how it's going to impact how future products are going to be added into that system, how new pages, page types might be added into that system, and how are people going to understand it as they use that navigation to move through the site. So I'm going to kind of steal two things there. I'm going to say one, and this is really, maybe it's a, it's a really weird way to talk about it, but, um, Remember those old 3D paintings that were like in the mall back in the 90s or whatever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd stare at them and then uh, eventually, hopefully, something would uh, become clear to you. But it almost kind of made you sick as, as your eyes shifted focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that's exactly the experience that I have when I'm looking at a design 
that um, one of the team has, is presenting, uh, and then they they kind of um, uh, I'm going to sound really amateur here, but they they click the selection within Adobe XD or whatever that allows them to show the grids underneath what they designed. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it's like when that, so when the grid appears, it's like my eyes adjusting to one of those 3D paintings. Oh, <laughs> okay. That's why this lines up. I mean, so, so in some ways, I would say um, if you're a marketer evaluating a website design, try to, like, if you, if you look at it, can you see that grid underneath? Can you see kind of a, a what typically, I, I think we typically use a six column layout. Do, don't we, uh, Jeff? 12. 12. Wow, um, there you go. That tells you what yeah. I know. Um, well, the main reason that you use 12 is because it's divisible by so many different um, ways of kind of breaking it up. So it could be a three-column grid, a four-column grid, a six-column grid, a 12-column grid, you know, two a two-column grid. Like, that's the reason why we use a system like that is so that it can allow for lots. And, I mean, that's one of the nice things about that is that a well-designed grid system gives you so many different opportunities to kind of shift and change where that content sits that it shouldn't feel stale or boring as you move through it. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. And uh, I'm going to say that the, 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 extra bit of, the extra bit of advice I would give marketers then is to ask the designer, um, kind of make a, a I guess, th think about something that you may want to add to the site. Um six months or a year out and just ask them where that would live and you, you'd probably get a pretty uh if, if, if it's been thought about and that information architecture has been properly thought out there's going to be a rational answer to that question and if it hasn't been thought about that person's going to stumble for the next two to three minutes and trying to explain their way out of it yeah and i mean basically in a lot of cases at that point, that answer is going to be, well, we'll redo the navigation when that time comes. And that, that should be an indication that they're really not considering how that, how that navigation, how that architecture is built to grow and scale. All right. All right. What else do we get wrong? Uh, let's diagnose marketers a bit further. What else do we want marketers to know about creating for the web? Well, I, I think, you know, there, there's a, there's a number of different things and I'd like to get into a, into a, into a bunch of areas that will help um, marketers better understand what it is that they're creating and what they need to think about. So, I mean, obviously I don't want to dive too deep into search engine optimization, but I will say this, that a well-structured site that has been built appropriately for end users is inherently also good for search optimization. Um, you know, we we often see uh, a, a real boost to on-page organic search growth uh, whenever we deploy a new site just because of the way our sites are structured, the way that our code is written, and the hierarchy that we use to separate out headlines, subheadlines, and content and, and other elements that are on the page, that actually helps quite a lot. 
And so much of that hasn't, uh, I mean, the best practice around that has not changed in a very long time. And people just continue to ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, how many sites do we look at that still don't have an H1 tag on the home page or an appropriate title tag? So, I mean, yeah, I guess the, you know, the fundamentals are still the fundamentals for a reason um, because some people are still missing them. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's certainly the case that, uh, you know, good SEO, what's good for the the user of the site is going to be good for Google as well, as it turns out. And one of the other things that if it's good for the user is going to make the site good for search as well is building the site with accessibility in mind. Yeah, um, that that's an area that just so many people miss. I'd love for you to kind of unpack that a bit for listeners, because I think there's a lot for people to learn there. Yeah, there, there really is. And I, I've been, um, you know, on this on this train for for a while i'm harping about uh, the importance of accessibility and you know as as we know there there are you know a number of lawsuits going down in the in the u.s about this kind of thing and i think you know it could be the case that you could say you know well if you don't have an accessible site you're you're opening yourself to a lawsuit and technically that is correct there are um there is legislation in the u.s that uh, makes you um, at risk if your site is not available to people with uh, hearing, sight, other types of di- cognitive disabilities as well. And there is a scale for this as well. Um, there's what's known as the YCAG or Web Content Accessibility Guidelines that lay out exactly what you need to do with a website in order to make it fully accessible. And these are big, long documents. But the the important part to take away from it is that anything that you can do to make a site more accessible for users who have a disability. You're also, again, making that site um, very uh, well search optimized, and you're also building a site that is going to have very well thought out and clean code as you go through it. Um, And there's a a number of different things to consider here. So the first is that uh, all of your navigation should be um, available to do via keyboard. So if you look at a site that's been properly optimized for accessibility, and once the page loads, if you hit the tab key, you should get a, uh, a little hidden link that will appear that'll say jump to main content. And that's so that people who are using a screen reader can actually have their screen reader skip over all of the uh, extraneous content at the top, the navigation and other things, and they can get straight to the to the actual content of the page, or if they hit tab again, it'll take them and walk them through that those navigation links in an order that actually makes sense. Um, And this is why, you know, that information architecture is so important and and why you want to get away from very generic terms like products, services, things like that, and start to use the actual category names for the kinds of products that you might uh, manufacture if you're a manufacturer. or, or other things that are, are going to be more descriptive. Um, again, those are positives for search, and it also makes it easier for somebody who may be using a screen reader to understand what the categories of the site are without having to drill down deeper and deeper and deeper. It's so many, I always say it's like people have, have a, the, the, you go to a website of a you know, you know, large multinational manufacturer and it fails basic accessibility tests. Um, and it, it's kind of like going to their headquarters and there not being um, a, a wheelchair ramp 
as an example, and the just head office isn't accessible to uh, to those in, uh, with disabilities. I mean, it would be the same thing, which of course they would never do. Um, uh, no, and it's the same law actually. It's the ADA, <laughs> Americans with Disabilities Act that uh, that controls both the web and your physical plant. Exactly. Uh, so. Um, but they're not being malicious about it. It's just that they don't know. And it's something that comes back to what I think you said right at the start of this conversation, that the websites that were that people are being asked to create, the web platforms that we're building are getting more and more and more complex. Um, and simultaneous to that, it seems like more and more people are trying to find the easy way out and just buy a cheap template. <laughs> yep. And, and then, and, and which almost never has a level of uh, systems thinking to it uh, to actually think of it as a design system versus just something aesthetically pleasing. And certainly almost never takes into account accessibility requirements. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, there are um, templates out there that do champion accessibility that do provide um, very customizable grid systems to enable you to have that, uh, you know, um, depth and breadth of content. The problem with them is, is that when you purchase a template, it has to be designed for any eventuality, which also means that you're getting all kinds of extra junk code in there and potentially a bunch of plugins, especially in the WordPress space in order to achieve those things. And uh, you, you don't end up with as fast or as good a quality of site that may impede you in the future just because of, of all the extra code that's in place there it makes debugging more difficult for sure. I, uh, I, I'm kind of, I've got at least uh, 30 more questions, I think, but then I'm also looking at our time and thinking this might be a lovely place to end uh, today's episode and maybe just uh, save some of those 30 for another episode. Can certainly do that. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly lots more to uh, to accessibility than than uh, keyboard navigation and and uh, and working with a good quality template um, or building your own rather. Um, and and there's plenty of other things we can discuss as well. Indeed. Well, thank you for sharing this today. I think um, I know. Look, I uh, I'm certainly I'm not just blowing sunshine. I can say that uh, I've I, I I continue a, a decade on to find. Uh, and your knowledge in this is incredibly helpful uh, to me. Um, and uh, I know that our listeners will have learned something today. So thanks so much for sharing. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.